I like to have conversations with people when I'm standing near them. <laughs> Some of you don't, apparently. Um, so when I take my daughter to school, um, maybe once or twice a week, I'll just ask her, you know, uh, you're a bed lion, right? And she's like, yeah, and bed lions hunt in a pack. Um, that's kind of a family thing. And I said, so what do bed lions do? And bed lions are leaders. What do leaders do? And she said, leaders like to use people to get what they want, not take responsibility for their actions. No, she goes, leaders are helpers. Um, Leaders are helpers. I just love that. It's so simple for her. And she wants to be a helper. And we live in a day and age where I, I think sometimes the first definition I gave you of getting what we want by using people or not having to take responsibility for our actions or decisions or... um, can be, a, can be a, a definition of leadership. And leadership is, is deeply spiritual. Like, as leaders go in our life, um, as the leaders go, so we go. As the leaders in the church go, the, the church goes. And I, you show me healthy leaders, I'll show you like a healthy, healthy organi- uh, organization or a healthy family or a healthy environment. If the leaders are really unhealthy, that leads to unhealth. Would you guys agree? Um, I, I like to ask leaders I'm around, I, I like to ask them, what do you look for in leaders? Um, and I've gotten all kinds of great um, nuggets from, from leaders I really respect. I've had, the, you know, when I ask that question, I've had people say, I look for influence and initiative. You know, people who take initiative and have influence. I've had uh, leaders that I really respect say things like, I look behind them, who's following them? He's like, if, what are their followers like? And do they have any followers? Because they tell you they're a leader and there's no followers. You know, um, he's, I've had leaders tell me, I get leaders coming up to me all the time or people who think they're leaders and they're like, I'm a leader. And they're like, I've been telling people my whole life that I'm a leader. And finally, I get to lead in your organi- organization, you know. And he's like, and there's no one following him. And uh, it tells me a lot. But one of the best conversations I had, I was talking with a guy, you wouldn't, you wouldn't pick him out of a crowd to say, that's a leader, that's an incredible leader. Um, you, you, you wouldn't think that there's, uh, he doesn't have a lot of uh, charisma, um, he just doesn't stand out in the typical way, but, but he, this guy's a great leader. And when I asked him, I said, what do you look for in a great leader? He said this, he says, I look for people who delight in the success of others. Isn't that a great definition? And I feel like what he's getting at is the heart of servant leadership. And we're in this series called Talk About It. Well, we're just, we're really trying to inspire spiritual conversations. And I think, for me, leadership is deeply spiritual. Last week, we, we learned about Jesus having a, a conversation with a skeptic. It was the skeptic's conversation. This week, we're having the servant's conversation. And so I want to encourage you, like, to, to take notes. If you have them, you can pull your notes out now if you, if you want um, um, but, but what I want to see is I don't want to just see information come into our church. I want to see transformation. So as God is speaking to your heart or things are kind of revealed or opened up to you about your life or your situation, I want to just really encourage you to act on it and have the conversations that you feel this conversation by Jesus might be nudging you toward. And, um, and my, our hope is that this sermon series really helps our church grow. And no matter where you're at in your spiritual journey, that you begin moving toward Christ with others and having those spiritual conversations. So if you have your Bible, if you have a, uh, an app where you can pull up your Bible, you can um, pull up Matthew chapter 20, start, um, starting in verse uh, 20. And um, 
in this conversation, I want to I prep you guys. Uh, I feel like sometimes the Bible can be seen as like not very relevant. Have you ever heard someone say that? The Bible's not relevant. I, I was reading this passage and I was like, man, I don't know how you could be more relevant than, than this conversation. So it might not be as obvious up front, but, but wait till we dig into it. So um, as we go through this, I'm going to be talking about three movements of servant leadership, three movements that have to happen uh, for uh, spiritual growth into servant leadership. And then if we have time, I'll give you three practical ways to engage in the servant conversation. Because the goal of this, uh, this sermon series is every time to look at a conversation and experience one of these conversations that Jesus has, to experience it, and then to look at it and learn, okay, how do I emulate it? How do I follow the example of Jesus? It's like looking at a piece of art. The first, like, thing for me when I look at a painting that's beautiful is I experience it and then once I've experienced it and it's hit me and it's kind of moved me um, then I start looking at okay how did the artist do that and so that's what we're going to try to do today so starting in verse 20 um, it says this then the mother of Zebedee's sons approached him approached Jesus with her sons James and John so it starts off with the mother and her boys She knelt down to ask him, being Jesus, for something, and she asked this, what, um, well, he, he, he said this, what do you want, he asked her, and she said, here's what I want, promise, she said to him, that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right and the other on your left, in your kingdom, and it, it might not strike us as heavily today, but in this day and age, when she was, when someone would say, "Hey, can I sit on your right, on your and on your left?" it was immediately asking for the place of prominence. I want to be the place of prominence. It's asking for a place of authority and of influence. And and she says uh, at the end of this, "In your kingdom." And in this era, when people were moving with Jesus, they were excited, many of them, to follow Jesus because they thought he was going to kick the Romans out, the uh, the power of that day and age um, that the the Jewish. Um, community didn't want in their community they didn't want uh kind of as overlords they wanted rome out and they wanted to be back reinstated in the old place of of we are god's people and we're israel and we're in charge of our own destiny um and they wanted to clean up uh, the bad leadership like let's drain the swamp that was kind of the mentality for a lot of jesus uh followers and she says in your kingdom i want my sons to sit at your right and your left and she's saying, when you have kicked everyone out and when you are in charge, I want my sons to be the second in command. She, as the mama, is coming in saying, I want my boys to be the bosses. That's a pretty bold uh, request, isn't it? When you think about it, I think that's pretty bold. Um, in verse 22, Jesus answered, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? And they said, we are able. So we know that all of a sudden the mom comes up with her boys in tow. And uh, she's like, Jesus, here's what I want you to do for my boys. And she makes the request. I want them to be the leaders. I want them to be in charge. I want, I've been training these boys to be leaders. They're ready for this. And then she, uh, you know, she lays it out there. And Jesus doesn't look at her. He looks to the boys who have asked for a seat at the table, asked to be leaders at his table through their mother. 
and looks at them and says, I don't know if you know what you're asking for. And says, are you able to follow me? Are you able to lead the way you think you can lead? And he, he moves from this like enabling moment with the mother and shifts the conversation to an empowerment moment. He doesn't look at the mom because she's requesting on their behalf. He looks at them, right at the boys, right at his disciples and said, are you able? I just think that's so powerful. Are you ready for the path I'm taking on? The mom is saying, I want to prepare the path for my boys. I want to prepare the path so it's nice and easy for them and it's a good path and they can be seen as leaders. So I'm getting the path prepared for them. And Jesus flips the conversation to a conversation of empowerment and says, are you prepared for the path? Very different conversation. And then he says um, to them, you will indeed drink my cup. But to sit at my right and my left is not mine to give. Instead, it is for uh, those to whom it has been prepared by my Father. My Father will choose, and you are going to show by your actions whether you can handle the path to power, real power. And it's in these moments that we're beginning to see how they view power, how they view this. And, And in this moment, we're seeing Jesus shift something. They see power as, as, as that's leadership. And Jesus says the way to power is the way to love. It's totally different than what you think. And so the, the first movement to servant leadership is from enabling to empowering. You might want to write that down in your notes. From enabling to empowering. His mom is trying to prepare the road instead of preparing her, her sons for the road. Um... Let me read you guys a few stats. Some of you guys have heard in our culture, again, I always hear how the Bible can be irrelevant, but when I read it, it just jumps out at me. In our day and age, there's this thing that that we're seeing a dynamic at work about empowerment and enabling. And uh, here's the the dynamic. Um, There's a pattern of today's parents and and leaders, I would even submit, a generation of leaders and of parents that are taking control so that their children succeed and avoid disappointment and failure. They want to help their their kids avoid the failures they went through, avoid the disappointments they went through. Um, And so by the time the kids are old enough for college and way beyond that point in college um, and way beyond the point they should have graduated and matured, parents and I would submit leaders, um, wealthy or not, are still doing things for children that they can do for themselves. Um, the term for this is um, helicopter parents. Have you ever heard that? Helicopter parents? In the Midwest, it's snowplow parents. They go ahead and they plow the snow for them. Um, back when I was a kid, I, I, or you know, in high school, I'd have friends that would do the Arnold Schwarzenegger. They'd be like, get to the chopper. And it used to mean like, ah, oh, that's Arnold Schwarzenegger. But now, get to the chopper means like, run to mama. It's a, little, it's a little different these days. Of course, I'm just joking. So listen to some of these stats. This is from a, 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 an article that was in USA Today. 76% uh, reminded, these are parents, 76% of the parents polled reminded their adult children of deadlines they needed to meet, including schoolwork. Uh, 74% of the parents polled made appointments for them, including doctor's appointments, and then 15% of parents with children in college had texted or called them to wake them up so they didn't sleep through a class or a test. So it's not that big a deal. My dad called me this morning to make sure I would preach today, so it's, 
I don't think that's a problem. Um, one of the most egregious findings of the poll is that 11% of parents with adult children will call their child's employer if he or she had an issue at work. Have you guys got that call? I heard you've been treating my son really badly. I will have you. I made lunch for him. He will be ready this week. I guess. I guess it shouldn't be that surprising that eight percent of parents said that they had contacted a college professor or administrator about their child's grades or a problem they were having. This is just an, this is an aspect of our world that is happening more and more, and it's a dynamic that's at work. And Jesus, in this, you guys see this dynamic at work even in this section of scripture in this story mama comes I want my boys to be the bosses and I want to prepare the path for them so it's easy and it's nice and 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 then everyone else that, that that's below them can serve them and serve you Jesus and um, it's interesting that when people come to serve Jesus it's actually a guise that they're at they're serving Jesus so that he can serve them and serve their agenda. Um, th- this, is, uh, this is the challenge that when, when this pattern is at work, it becomes a habit. If, you, if you're doing this um, helicoptering, snow plowing, lawn mowing, whatever you want to call it, this uh, mentality of, of not allowing pain or failure to enter the lives of people that we're mentoring, parenting, if you're doing it in high school, you can't stop. Again, this is in the USA uh, Today uh, article. If you're doing it in high school, you can't stop at college. If you're doing it in college, you can't stop it when it comes to the workplace. And if you've manufactured a role for yourself of always being there to handle things for your child, so it gets worse because your young child is ill-equipped to manage the basic tasks of life. And, and the parents eventually have to take, uh, they're in the front seat driving, and they're, they're, the flip hasn't happened where they begin riding in the back seat, letting the child learn how to drive their life. And it's, there's this desire to help are the ones we're mentoring, the kids that we have. We want them to arrive at the right place, and so we want to drive it, drive it, drive it. And there's this intentionality. For some people, it, come, it can come from a very uh, a good motive. I, I want the best for my kids, and I want to serve my kids. And there's this mentality that serving and, and what servant leadership is doing for people all the time. But, but actually, that can be a mentality of enablement, not empowerment. If, if I'm always doing my daughter's math homework so she'll get a good grade, who's learning math? And who am I trying to make look good? Sometimes, it, if we were really to dig deep, it might be for the best of the child, but sometimes I think motives can get mingled in there where we want to make sure that our child is the best reflection on us. The, the, the person I'm mentoring and leading is the best reflection on me, so I, therefore I will do this for them, do this for them, do this for them. My daughter needs to learn math. There's a whole generation of kids that, that they need to learn the skills of life, emotional skills, relational skills, just basic, you know, like skills, uh, changing tires and, you know, like taking care of a home and responsibility stuff. And, and there's just these basic things that, that we have to learn and and. And some of us, like, how did we learn basic skills for life? We had to fail, didn't we? We had to fail. Um, teachers call fail, it's, um, 
what are they called? The first attempt in learning. The first attempt in learning. And teachers, they know this, they, that some of the best learning happens when we fail and when we fall down, that's when we get back up and we learn to walk and we fall and then we get back up and learn to walk. My son's learning this and he's running into things, smacking into them. And, um, and you know, I want to protect him most of the time, unless he's being really ornery, but he's, <laughs> he's got to learn. And, and there's and the wisdom, there's a tension. We don't want their decisions to kill their life and their future, but we also don't want not allowing them to learn how to make decisions to kill their life. And destroy their free will and their ability to learn and grow. It's like the difference between letting my son, little Wes, fall down a few times because he's not watching where he's going versus like fall down the stairs. Like I put up some gates for a season, but I don't want to have a gate on my stairs until he's 30. Um, uh, there's this quote I, I love from the, uh, the, the author in this article, Julie Lithcott Hames. She wrote the, this book, How to Raise an Adult. She says, the point is to prepare the kid for the road instead of preparing the road for the kid. This is an empowerment. This is empowerment versus enabling. And um, I, as I've grown up, I look at friends and family members. Um, and uh, my generation, I've grown up, has even struggled with this dynamic, and parents have struggled with this dynamic. So let me just hang out a little bit longer here, and we'll move on, but I think this is important. I've, I grew up with friends whose moms would, you know, come in and save them, come and save them, and care for them, and take care of them. And, and some of those friends are now still living at home, playing video games in the basement, um, they, they can have a job. It's kind of like an optional thing for them to have a job or not. And some of them, um, if they find a woman who will date them, they get, I'm speaking from, to male, from my male experience here. And um, so I'm, just know that I'm just talking from my experience and with friends. And this is anecdotal, but this is what I've seen. Um, that, that if they get a girlfriend, there's also like this, this fear. Like they would rather talk to their, their girlfriend like through you know, Facebook or some kind of social media because they get anxiety to have to talk socially with people because they're used to being where? In their basement where their food's brought to them and they're taking care or, or whatever it might be and not carrying heavy responsibilities. And they're, they haven't built the skills emotionally and relationally to be able to handle... Uh, uh, a girlfriend or then if they get married like they're, they're struggling with the emotional relational skills and life skills to to deal with their kids and their and then there's the next generation those kids are raised with without those skills and it just can devolve and it and and, and so there's a huge need and there's a gap there and and jesus shows us how to deal with this gap in i think a really powerful way um but but i'll also say this i here's the other thing is if men i'm talking to males here if we allow mom to helicopter in or snowplow in for our whole life, what I've noticed is that if they find a gal that will stay with them, even if they're not taken care of or, or even loved well at times, that they find, they find a gal to become their wife to take, be a replacement for their mom. And mom, who is the helicopter now, is my wife, is the helicopter who takes care of me. And so let me speak to this for a moment. Men, we were built to, to be responsible for our lives. Humans in the building, men and women. 
you and I were built to be responsible, take ownership for our lives. And there's this gap where, like, you know, my age and younger will look up at family members and parents and be like, man, you know, then they'll get upset. Like, they don't, how come they're not giving me what I deserve and I've worked hard for this? And then the older generation, mentors, parents, family members, uh, business owners are looking down at this generation. They're like, they just want what they haven't earned. They haven't put the time in like I did. And this group's like, well, we, you know, we deserve to have, you know, a car 20 years faster than you did. We deserve to have a house 20 years faster than you did. And they're like, you haven't earned it. And then they're frustrated. Um, But the crazy thing to me is the parents and the families and the businesses that are in this generation, who created the environment that enabled this? The parents did it. And, and, and then, I was, and then the, the ones that, the, this, the lower generation that's looking up and is frustrated, is like you're looking to them to take responsibility for your life. Let me talk to the younger generation for a moment. Who is responsible for your life? Is it your friends? Is it your parents? See, your pastor, you are responsible for your life. You are to take ownership for, you were designed for that. And here's the thing, is like that's one of the most beautiful, you were created to make choices and, and to live life with a little bit of risk and to learn and to fail and to learn and to grow and to grow. And, and, and there's something so beautiful about that and amazing about that. And, and, and I, I want to I see our church and I want to see our community have people who are stepping into that out of like having responsible responsibility taken away or given away and own it own your life you have so much so many gifts to offer to the world and how can you use them and develop them if you're not if you're not stepping out in, in faith and then parents for a moment or older generation if it's not going to kill them they need to learn the lessons that you learned there are some lessons that cannot be skipped. Amen? Amen. And, and the, the key is, don't just be like, well, I'm just going to let you fail. Because that's some parents' answer. No, I'm going to walk with you. And if you see, a, a, oh, you're going to run into a pothole. You're going to step on something that's going to hurt you. And you tell them, you tell them, you tell them. They're not listening. Well, don't just walk away. You walk with them. Okay, you walked into that. I told you. But it's okay. We're here together. And you keep walking. Because... Because God wants us to grow and mature. The goal is maturity. That's, that's the difference between uh, servant leadership and just serving leadership. We're not supposed to just do everything for everybody. That would be taking away their dignity and their God-given free will and responsibility to live life. Notice Jesus when that, he says, what do you want? I want my boys to have this. And then he looks at the boys and he says, are you able he doesn't say his mom able do you have the skills and the fortitude and the courage to walk this path now here's the next movement we got to keep moving the next movement is from self-serving to other serving when the 10 disciples heard about this request they became indignant why are they indignant why are they upset about the two brothers it's because they're super spiritual no, they're upset because like they want to be the leaders. They want to be on top. Like no, they they they're mad at them because they asked first to be on top. Or I should say their mother asked for them to be on to, on top. Um Jesus called them over and said, "Now let's have the servant conversation." 
You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. You know that the Romans lord it over them. You know that those in high positions act as tyrants over them. It must not be like that among you. Now, notice this. Jesus does not berate them for their ambition to be leaders. I'll have people come to me and they're like, I want to be a leader. Or I've been telling people for years I'm a leader. And you'll look at their life and they're not doing anything to demonstrate leadership. And one of the signs of a young non-leader who wants to be a leader is that they demand leadership position rather than demonstrate leadership disposition. Are you, de- are you demanding or are you demonstrating it? And they'll be all fired up, but I never want to snuff out the ambition to lead. Jesus never snuffs it out and says, you shouldn't want to lead. You shouldn't want to take responsibility for your life and to, and to enable, or excuse me, not enable, empower other people. You, he, he doesn't snuff that out. What does he do? He redefines what leadership means. He says, you... You guys see the Romans, you see the tyrants of this world, they lord their power over the other people. They've, they've made a confusion. They think that power is control and manipulation. And he's like, power is love. It's service. Check this out. He, he goes on to say, it must not be like this among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your what? Servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. He's making the distinction. He says, many of you are joining me and following me to serve me so that you can serve yourself. How many of you guys can look out at our world and maybe discern where people are serving Jesus to serve themselves, create a platform for themselves? Or they're serving something, some work, some political machine, some group, whatever it may be, to serve themselves. And I can look at it and see it really clearly in other people, I think. But sometimes I don't see it as clearly in myself, but I know, friends, that it's there. Because I'm human. Sometimes I'm just like these guys. How about you? I want this position. I'm demanding it versus demonstrating a heart of a servant. Jesus redefines radically what it means to lead. And leadership is serving people. Leadership is serving Um, it's not enabling, not just doing for everybody every time. It's helping mature people. It's helping them become all that God's created them to be. Servant leadership. I love Martin Luther King Jr. He said it like this. He says um, that greatness is servanthood. So anybody can become great because anybody can serve. Any one of us can be great in the kingdom of God because we can serve. In fact, when we serve... We show people there's a new way, there's a new leader in town. There's a new kingdom in town. And there's a new king, and his leadership is not pushing people down, it's lifting people up. Listen to this next, uh, this next verse. Just, Jesus says this, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Greatness is not defined by how many people you have beneath you. It's giving your life as a ransom to lift others up. See, when we serve people and we serve it in the context 
of what Jesus is talking about. It's not enabling and doing everything for them. It's not being the helicopter leaders. It's not you know, like being the absentee leader, the absentee father who just says, well, they're gonna learn everything by themselves. We are servants and we ransom other people with our life. We give up our life so that others can live. And Jesus didn't just talk about this. He went to the cross and lived it. And I, I, in moments in my life, I can hear things, but it doesn't transform me. I think that the, the, the disciples were most transformed and understood leadership in the moment where they saw Jesus on the cross in shame, the world jeering at him. And do you remember the, the request? Can I sit at the right and left hand of Jesus when he's in his kingdom lifted up? When Jesus was lift on, lifted up on the cross, who was on his right and on his left? criminals who wasn't on his right and his left i think it was in that moment that the sons of zebedee james and john are just like he asked us if we were able we said we would be there we were we we were not ready for this we didn't have a clue what it meant to be a servant i think it's when we have those moments and we realize wow jesus has demonstrated like I wanted all the blessing of being a servant leader without the challenge. And Jesus always gives the blessing with the challenge. Amen? It's in these challenging moments when Jesus really teaches us that that hard truth, we're like, man, I don't know if I want to do this. I don't know if I can do this. Like when Jesus says to us, like you and me, are you able to, to follow me on the path to the cross of servanthood? Well, I, I would much prefer have the path prepared for me. How about you guys? In some ways, Jesus did, but, but Jesus can't make our decisions for us. We have to learn to walk that for, that for ourselves. And here's, here's what I want to really land on, is there's this moment for many of the disciples, like in John 6, where Jesus teaches something hard like servant leadership. And many disciples begin to turn away and desert him at a hard teaching. And Jesus turns to the 12 and says, are you going to leave because I've taught you something hard? Are you going to go because I've, given, I've told you about the blessing, but I've said it, there's some challenge? And, and the, the response of Simon Peter in this moment is so powerful. Jesus says, are you going to leave? And Peter says, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. Like, this is really challenging. I don't know if we can, we, we get this. I don't know if I fully understand it. I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can follow you the, the way I'm supposed to, but where else can I go? Like if it isn't to the, the, if it isn't to servant leadership, if it isn't following Jesus, like what other option do you and I really have? Like the path that we see so many people going, the path to uh, exchanging love for power and control and manipulation, like is that really the path that we want to go? Is that the person we want to become? Is that, Like, what better option do we have than Jesus than going through the cross to the resurrection, to new life, to giving our lives up so that other people can live? Like, where does it actually get better than that? And I think it's when we really start to see that, that all of a sudden our lives can change. I was talking to my friend, um, Bishop Laga, in Sierra Leone in Africa. I, I said, hey, if, we were, if your country were to get rid of some big giants, what would be the, the biggest giant to kill in your culture? Like the biggest problem to tackle? And I said, what about the giant of illiteracy 
or the giant of poverty or the giant of infrastructure and the giant of this and the giant of that. And he just kind of stopped and he paused and he was really silent for a second and thought for quite a while. And he, he just kind of sat there and then he looked up at me and he said, the biggest giant that if we slayed it would change everything is the giant of self-serving leadership. If we could get rid of the self-serving leadership and we could get servant leaders into our country and leading our country, it would change our nation. What would that look like in our church? To have servant leaders. Not enabling, but empowering. Sacrificing their life so that others can live and come alive and and take their God-given responsibility and and be changed. And, And just over and over, giving up what God has given us and sacrificing over and over and over the way of Jesus so that life happens all around us. See, I think that can change our city. I think like my friend, the bishop, that self-serving leadership is killing families, communities, cities, states, and countries. And what would God do if you and I, who can grasp greatness because greatness is service and anybody can serve, what would happen if we let God use us? Imagine it. Some of you guys might have seen this chair up here and been wondering what it was. Some of you guys might have been, been thinking like, oh, someone accidentally left this, this up here. This chair has a lot of significance to me. And it's significant because um, this black metal, slightly or actually very uncomfortable chair, is part of the first set of chairs that we set up at Whitewater in Fredrickson Elementary. When we, when we moved from a home and we moved into Fredrickson, these are the chairs that we'd set up every week. I remember setting them up with my, my friend Ty. Um, Ty didn't know Jesus. I checked with him last year. He didn't know Jesus when I actually would have him help me set up chairs. And we'd set these chairs up and I'd set them up in perfect lines and I was a little OCD about it at the time and I'd always have to correct him. I'd be like, no, Ty, it's, it, that's not straight. And he'd be like, ah, oh, and he'd have to fix it. And we'd set all these chairs up to, and then we'd, we'd pray um, you know, he wasn't a Christian, so I would pray that people would come to hear Jesus. And we'd get like a few people, 15, 20 people sometimes when we first started. But every week we set these up. And, and to me, um, this chair is symbolic of, of servants. Like I had people that would come and set, set these up. And as we grew, more and more people would come sit in these chairs and hear the message of Jesus Christ. That God has a... He loves them, that God is the, the hope of our world. And something as silly and seemingly insignificant as this, to me, has tremendous meaning because every week people came and had a place to sit. A servant sat that there. And when we serve, it helps people find God. And when we serve, people are saved because it points them to the servant king who died on the cross for them to give them life. Amen? We have Easter coming. I want our community to know that we have, a, we have a church community of servants. We have an opportunity where people are willing to look at church, to come to church. We have an opportunity where, where we have a world that's like divided and broken and looking for hope. And on Easter, we're going to be doing something called the Path of Peace. And we're going to be presenting the gospel. 
clear gospel that says, look, God came to reconcile and bring peace to your relationships with others and with him. And people are going to hear the hope of the message of the gospel. And in that season, I want to ask you as a church, would you partner with us in serving? Um, in the back today, we have a, a table, and, and it's got just, it's really simple. You can sign up to serve, but maybe a baby step of service. Some of you guys might be amazing servant leaders. In fact, I know some of you are. And then some of you, like me, are growing in servant leadership. And this might be an opportunity for you in this season, while Easter is happening, while people are going to come here, to, to, to step into the symbols of service. Like every sign that gets set up, every baby that's held, every kid that's trained, and every crayon that's set out on all the tables for our children's church to set up. You guys are sitting in chairs that people set up. Um, there's signs that are out that are letting people know that this is a place you can belong before you believe. And in fact, as you belong, we hope that you believe. And my call today is as a church, if we're having a conversation about becoming servants of the Most High God, would you serve with me this season to see lives transformed and changed with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Every chair is significant. Every, every act of service is significant. So would you pray with me? I'm going to just close with this. Would you pray a, a servant's prayer with me? Father God, I, I pray that we would be a church of service. Would you use our lives not to enable, Lord, but to empower people? Would you use our lives not to serve ourselves, but to serve others? Would you help us to follow you with everything we have, God? And Lord, I pray that our church would be ready for company that's coming. Our church would be ready to reveal the servant king. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.